everyone, and Happy New Year. Thank you for tuning in to Unapologetically Different Podcast. This is Season 7, Episode 54. And our first episode of the new year, I'm your co-host, Key. And I'm your co-host, Coach P. And if you haven't already, make sure you go check out Episode 53, Hair Free, Carefree, where we discuss Andrew Johnson's situation where he was forced to choose between cutting his locks or forfeiting and disqualifying his team from their high school wrestling match, the federal prison reform bill, vision boards for the new year on Coach P dropping gems, and so much more. Make sure you go back and check that out. Facts. Welcome to 2019, Coach P. Ooh, we made it. Yeah, we did. This is a big year. I'm going to turn 30. <laughs> oh, wow. Congratulations. I'm excited. Yes, that's a big thing. I feel like I'm getting better with age, like fine wine. You heard? I mean, you are. Look at them abs. Cha, 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 cha. I see you on the IG story. I appreciate all the updates. I'm blushing. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> now let's get into it. Let's go. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about the surviving R. Kelly and oh god just literally just saying saying it i i just got goosebumps so it was a six-part documentary that aired on lifetime and prior to the documentary making its debut there was a special screening at the new house in madison square in nyc and on that tuesday there was a gun threat which caused everyone to actually evacuate the building and that's like just kind of crazy that NYPD was investigating, and they revealed that the call came from Chicago. <laughs> surprise, Crazy. surprise. But it was never proven that R. Kelly was actually affiliated with the call and the threat. But this act within itself speaks to the extreme length that someone was willing to go to silence these victims and survivors. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting because when I heard about this, I was going to watch a documentary anyway, or docu-series for that matter, but... When this came to service, I was like, damn, it's really somebody's going real hard to make sure these victims don't get to speak their truth. So I was like, this made me want to watch it even more. Yeah, straight out of scandal. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> um, so part one and two aired on Thursday. It was about two hours. Um, it starts out mentioning R. Kelly's upbringing. So um, please note that him and his younger brother were both molested by um, their older sister. In the documentary, did not specifically state who the family member was. His brother kept saying it was a family member, but he recently did an interview where he actually states that it was the older sister. Yeah. Now, please also note that his trauma is not an excuse, nor does it negate his actions, but it is important to illustrate the core of the abuse, especially highlighting how molestation and sexual assault oftentimes starts from home. Yeah. You know, oftentimes people think it's with strangers or someone that you may not know, but in all actuality for some victims, if not a lot, yeah. it starts at home with either your sister, brother, mother, father, uncle, cousin, or et cetera. And oftentimes these are what causes people not to come forward because then, you know, you have to deal with that hard truth about your family and where does that leave your family? Either someone's going to believe you or they're not. So that was ongoing among him and his own brother. And then it kind of leads into AJ Nothing But a Number, which Marshall speaks to detailing the relationship between Aaliyah and R. Kelly. Now, at the time... In my upbringing, it just seemed like the media fantasized their relationship because they went on interviews and matching clothes. And it just made it seem like, you know, what they had was just organic and it just kind of flowed and it happened. That was my thought of it growing up. It was like, oh, OK, age really ain't nothing but a number. And that was mostly a common theme in the hood, too. Like older men, younger girls, like it wasn't something that was far fetched, you know. Yeah. And not only with them having matching outfits, when they did interviews, which there was a clip of an interview with the both of them. And it's like they never confirmed that they were together. It was like, that's my friend. and But it was like a weird friend relationship, even when they spoke about it. And then Aaliyah shied away from the age question when she was asked, which is very questionable within its own right. Another aspect of it was that they did get married. Well, that was well known. But she was 15 and he was 27. What I find to be interesting, which was mentioned in the documentary, was that his tour manager, Demetrius Smith, had someone forge her age on a marriage license saying that she was 18 instead of 15. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, you went to extreme length to prove that she was legal when, right. in fact, she wasn't, just to move forward the marriage. Now, the urgency of the marriage, which I was not aware of, and I think the general public didn't know, was that Aaliyah was pregnant at the age of 15. I was like, well, damn, that's crazy. Like, 
not only are you in this situationship or a situation with this older man, which, I mean, you perceive it as rape at this point because no child could really give consent to being with a grown-ass man. And you only double her age. It's just, like, Facts. gross. And then the fact that she's pregnant and being dealing with that at the age of 15, you're trying to start your fame in terms of being in the music industry. And then on top of that, like, you're in the situation with this old man and then you're pregnant. And so that was a shocker to me. Like that part, I was like, what? And then um, she got an abortion. The marriage was annulled a couple months later. This is the part that had me. Now, apparently, R. Kelly paid her family $100 for <laughs> not to go to the public. I was like, $100, my nigga? Like $100? I really thought that was like a typo. <laughs> like I was like, my phone bill is not, it's like 120 That's like a light bill. I was like, it took $100 to keep her silent for it to not go to public um and it really bothered me i was like really that's the price that we paying right now so that part really had me and i was a little choked up and emotional by it i'm not even gonna lie yeah it sucked actually like finding out all that information and like you said 15 years old pregnant also trying to work on your singing career and the person who is supposed to be mentoring you protecting you is a predator yeah he got a problem problem (laughs) (laughs) shit problem squared But oddly enough, when this debuted, Aaliyah's mother made a statement, and she said, The woman and so-called backup singer that describes seeing, meeting, or ever breathing the same air as my daughter Aaliyah is lying and is a liar. Houghton wrote in a public statement, My husband and I were always on tour with her and at interviews and at every place she went throughout her entire career. Whoever this woman is, I've never seen her before anywhere on the planet Earth until now. So that quote in itself is pretty questionable. I was like, ma'am. Yeah. I was like, ma'am. Like, so you was there when they got married? Definitely wasn't. Well, you, matter of fact, I, let, me not, let me not say. I don't know, but. You was there when she got pregnant and an abortion. Yeah. Especially with, like, with all these accounts that the survivors were actually describing, there were so many people who witnessed all these situations. And it was like from so many different women and men recounting what happened, it was like, it was just the same thing over and it's over and over. It's the same, very similar over. similarities in all between. And it's just, I think for her, the mom, I can see how this is problematic. It's coming to surface and the public finding out an extra layer about her daughter. But the reality is, I think it's one of two ways. Either she shouldn't have said anything to begin with. Right. Or just own up to it and take accountability that we didn't play as much of a role as we should have because we were blindsided by some things and it led to this. Own up to it. But the fact that you like people are lying, like victims are coming forward to tell their story and all of a sudden they're lying. And my thing is like if you was there for everything, why get the annulment? Yeah. Why take the hundred dollars? That didn't make sense to me. Um, one of the victims which she discusses, which in relation to what the mom was actually saying, her name was Javante Cunningham. So in the documentary, um, Javante and Aaliyah were pretty close. So she did speak about them being friends and kind of how she helped Aaliyah with her swag and her attire to kind of have this tomboy kind of image. And she did say that they used to be on the tour bus and apparently they'll play pranks with each other. And at one point, I guess her and another girl stumble into R. Kelly's room or what have you. And that's where she saw R. Kelly having sex with Aaliyah. And when she was speaking about that, she was extremely emotional, I think in part to protect Aaliyah because she did say that. But also, too, she was like... He was doing things to a minor that he shouldn't be doing. And that's not her first time seeing him having sex with a minor. You know, it did happen again in terms of her catching him having sex with one of her 14-year-old friends actually in the studio. So she spoke about that. And she was really shaking up. And not only her, but all the other victims, when they kind of remember the accounts of the stuff that happened, they were all emotional. So it's like, wow, this is like still getting to them, of course. But she did say that. She was like, this is not the first encounter. It has happened. It was kind of a thing. But when it happened with Aaliyah, it kind of changed the dynamics of everyone's relationship. She was like the family, like, wasn't the same. And I was like, y'all was a family? Like, I was just kind of baffled by that. So um, I'm glad that she came forward and spoke her truth. But even her being around and witnessing this going on for so long. But the thing that got me was, first of all, it was a lot going on in this documentary. I'm not even going to lie, especially the first night. But prior to R. Kelly being introduced to Aaliyah, He had a thing with young girls. This wasn't nothing new. Apparently, Chicago natives, they can speak to this because he would often be posted up at Kenwood Academy or um, Rock and Roll McDonald's in hopes of luring young girls. And even though he was at the malls, too, and he had, like, a system where they'll pull up on the scene, him and his boys, 
and then he'll spot out the girls and make eye contact with them, leave the venue, and then have his friends return and get that girl's specific number and exchange number, and then he'll immediately contact them. So he was, like, consistent. You know, he had, like, a system put in play, um, and that was, like, crazy to me. I was like, bro, you had a whole setup. Like, he had a staff. Yeah. Like, that was really enabling him and supporting what he was doing so it was just and it was other black men that yeah. was a part of it that really got me i was like really so this is what y'all doing and i honestly didn't even understand how that part like with his bodyguards and people being interviewed on the documentary like i feel like they're they're accomplices to yeah. all the stuff that's happening like they're recounting it and they're telling their story and kind of putting him on blast for the documentary but at the end of the day if you're the one like saying i went and gave his number or i went back and told the girl kelly's interested it's like bruh you're just you're literally just as guilty, guilty as, as he, he is, is. So yeah as i was watching it i'm just like you guys are like kind of looking down at him but you're literally watching this happen that's just as bad as not doing anything as not actually doing it yourself one of them did say too he was like they were at an event or i guess at r kelly's um home and he was like i knew the girls were underage i didn't check id but they look like babies and i was like bruh so you ain't think to call the cops and that's the thing it wasn't just them it was other people like people in chicago it was like known in chicago that's one of the things i picked up from this documentary is that it seemed like it was known in chicago this was happening i was like so the whole chicago was just allowing this dude to ride on and get by and y'all didn't even try to stop him. I mean, even his um the music teacher, the old woman with the yeah. church wig. Yeah. I was really confused by that because she was like, I would tell him so I mean, hey, with the part in the side. And she was like, I would tell him not to talk to young girls. And I was just like, ma'am, what else did you do? Did you stop working with him? Did you cause she literally helped him become a better vocalist. So why didn't you stop working with him? Why did you continue? You just had a little talk. You need to stop being around these young girls. All right, what else? Like, that was it. And then also, too, the basketball coach, he also confirmed that he was at games and he was on the school premises. What did you do besides watch him with these young girls? Like, that's what really pissed me off. I was like, so y'all was just chilling, giving him little pep talks, and that's it? That's That was supposed to solve everything? To me, it just wasn't enough done by the public who witnessed it, the people who knew about it. It was just kind of like, this is what it is. This is the culture. Yeah. So that was really sad to watch, honestly. Yeah, and I think it had to do with the times that they were in as well. Because, like, right now, we're in the Me Too movement. Time's time's up. up, And it's like literally there's no there's no space for that at all like you are gonna get called out and black twitter is gonna shut you down like it's it's crazy like in a good way yeah but um back then i feel like it wasn't as like these things were happening but it just wasn't as kind of just addressed and attacked as much and i think someone said it very eloquently on the documentary where they said not only was he a growing celebrity star, um, very talented, but then at the same time, these victims, these young girls, they they were essentially nobodies. And that they, was the thing. He knew how to target some of them. Right. And Charlemagne said it perfectly during the, the series. Like he said, if you want to get away with sexual assault, you assault a black woman. Basically. And if you want to get away with murder, you kill a black rapper. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it, it's sad, but it's so true. Like a lot of the most of the victim if not all were black women and it was it, i think that was what kind of made it easier to turn a blind eye to it and it, again it's sad that that's the case but and the fact that it's so well known in the music industry the who he was and what he was doing it's kind of mind-boggling how Barry Hankerson who was Aaliyah's uncle and was also R. Kelly's manager, introduced Aaliyah to R. Kelly. And I like the age of 12, between yeah. the age of thir- 12 and 13. That was ridiculous to me. Yeah, and again, the I feel like that's a consistent theme with these industries, like with the film industry with like Harvey Weinstein and then the music industry with R. Kelly and Jess Misogyny and all of this. Sexist and patriarchy at play. Yeah, it's like people see what's going on, but it's like it's part of the industry and they're they're willing to just turn a blind eye to it but it's sad that how why would you even expose your niece to that like yeah like for the sake of fame the lack of judgment there is like mind-boggling i i just that's that's the only word that i can come up with and actually one of the mom of one of the victims or sorry survivors she actually said 
damn, money can literally buy anything. It can. Because that was one of the driving factors, his money, his stardom, and just who he was. It really can. But also, too, pertaining to that, what is interesting about Barry Hanker saying is that executive producer behind this, which is also our Woman Crush Wednesday, goes to Dream Hampton. And she actually was reaching out to him pertaining to this documentary, and he <laughs> refused to answer the calls. He told her to stop calling him. So I guess that has caused them to ruin their family, which someone else did say that, R. Kelly has ruined a lot of families due to his actions. But it's like, you should own up to it and take accountability. I think it would have been powerful if he was in this documentary really speak to um, the position that he played. Because even the people who were found guilty, like his um, tour manager, he did come through in a documentary and spoke about it. He said, I was at fault. But at least he owned up to it and showed True. his face. Like yeah. Barry Hankins said, oh, now you want to hide? You wasn't hiding back then when you was getting them coins and you exposed your knees to him. So that, to me, was really problematic. But also, too, the Leah part really... It was hard for me because I idolized this girl growing up. Her and Eve were my go-to because they both represented the type of black woman I wanted to be. And Aaliyah, for me, she had that tomboy image that I just loved. You know, she wasn't into the extraness and of being, your face wasn't beat to the gods, like how we see some of these young ladies nowadays. No shade, no tea, but she was very much authentic in terms of how she is with herself. I'm tongue tied. But um, I really. Okay, Jill Scott. <laughs> shout out to Jill Scott. Um, but now, real talk, I really. I loved her growing up because, and I, that used to be me. I was a tomboy. I used to wear my brother's clothes, you know, and I thought I was beautiful. Like, you know, and. You are beautiful. Thank you so much, Coach P. Um, so I really did idolize her growing up. So that part was hard for me to watch, and I really did get emotional. I, like, cried. I remember when she died, and I locked myself in my room. I was listening to her music all day, just crying. My brother was like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I'm fine. Leave me alone. But it was just, it really touched me that she died. Because um, my birthday is August 24th, and she died on August 25th. So it was really hard for me to... Um, and at a young age, I was trying to understand death. And she was one of the first ones where it was like, oh, wow. You know, and you know, as a child, you always have that celebrity fascination or somebody that you idolize that end up dying. So it has a different effect on you. She was that one. Um, she was the only one that had that huge emotional effect on me. So it was hard to watch that part. And I questioned a lot of things. Like even when I was watching this documentary, I was like, you know, I have a feminist and sociology background in undergrad. So my like filters going off it's like I was asking questions and answering questions in my head because I was just kind of figure I was like all right so shorty had a child at 15 had an abortion was with this grown-ass man that the media fantasizes them like being together and my question was and she died at the age of 22 yeah. you didn't get to live that's crazy you know and it was like my I had a lot of questions I was just like was it her decision to get an abortion did she want it what would her life have been like if she didn't meet this monster? What were her parents thinking? Was $100 enough to not bring this to the public and stop him in his tracks? How many lives could they have saved if her parents actually brought this to the forefront? Because the reality is, yes, this was at the upbringing or like the high... R. Kelly was rising up in his career at this point. Mm -hmm. Aaliyah was starting out, but she was a very likable person. I felt like if she was to come forward and her parents pushed that, people would have saw, yo, he's with a 15-year-old. Not only now it's true, she was pregnant, and that's what led to them getting married. And the fact that his team played a part in forging the marriage license, and it had to get annulled, and then she had an abortion. If all of that came out in the media at that time, I feel like that would have been enough evidence for people to be like, yo, for one, I don't know if I could fuck with R. Kelly anymore. And two, as a lot of women probably would have came forward like, yo, what's going on? And I, especially the victim that was like, Javante, who said that she and her were close, if Ali and them had reached out and got them all together and say, let's do like a, a press conference, let's try to push this, even if nothing happened, the attempt of trying to do it would have been etched in people's memory. Like, yo, you remember when this happened and they was trying to come forward? And you know, I, I know what you said about the times being different. We in a Time's Up Me Too movement, so accountability is happening in this era. But I'm just like, there was no attempt. It was like, here's your $100 and keep it pushing. And I felt like, I felt like in some aspects, maybe her parents was like, let me just get my daughter out of this. And that's it. But what about all the other black girls? I feel like there were so many attempts where lives could have been saved. And that's what really pissed me off watching the first um, parts of it and realizing it in terms of why wasn't there a push for that? And now she died at the age of 22. And I don't think she really got the help she needed to overcome this trauma. And the reason why is because um, as of recent, Damon Dash came out doing an interview after subsequent this 
stating that he was aware of who R. Kelly was because he did date Aaliyah and um, he was not like he just did not fuck with R. Kelly in the industry so he claims at the time and he you know he kind of went to further details but what he did speak to he said that when he did bring it up and try to have the conversation where she'll get emotional she didn't want to talk about it so she really needed professional help in order to like proceed on a conversation so at the age of 22 you died and you never got the professional help you needed to get over this trauma once again she did not live her life so when I thought about all of that I literally started crying because I was like yo this is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. And I was really bothered by that. And that was only part one and two people. That was a lot to take in. I remember I called you right after. I was like, yo, I went off. And you was like, I hate. I even know. I even know here about the documentary <laughs> at that time. That was you the first like, thing I heard. I got to tune in. I was like, yo, all of this is happening. And you was like, in two hours? I was like, in two hours? I was glued to the TV. Thank God for commercial breaks. <laughs> because I felt like my brain needed to rest for like two seconds. I was just like, and I'm not going to lie, I got emotional because I was like, damn it was just like weird to me how all of this was going on i was just like okay cool yeah and it's really sad like you said she died at 22 and like i mentioned earlier in this episode i'm going to be turning 30 this year and when i think back like when i was 22 years old granted i was quote unquote an adult i was over 21 but i was so young like my mind was completely different than the way i am now and yeah it's like you have so much more growing to do so much more learning so much more development and life to live like she literally didn't get to do that and i can only imagine the effects of everything that she went through with r kelly in that situation and that's one thing they actually pointed out a lot in the documentary that um these people who are in a abusive relationships they usually need seven or ten attempts to actually get out of that situation and basically and that just shows you how like psychologically damaging this could be to someone especially if you're young and you're not your brain hasn't even gotten that opportunity to fully fully develop it's it's like really disheartening and sad just to think about it and it's sad that when she died so i'm gonna end on this point because her career was picking up she was actually an, an actress she was in some roles and her music was becoming even more better so it was like she was getting up there so that's what was really sad about the situation yeah r.i.p Aaliyah. Um, facts so in the next part they actually were discussing the sex tape which occurred between r kelly and one of his former background singers and proteges that he was quote-unquote mentoring but i need us to be specific though it's not considered a sex tape yes it's called a child pornography tape and the reason why words and rhetoric matter because if you say a child cannot give consent to having in a if you say a child cannot give consent to have sexual relations with a grown-ass man you cannot say a child gave consent for a sex tape to be produced oftentimes in sex tape situations or both parties are aware of what's going on they know they're being recorded. The problem is it being exposed to the public for whatever reason, whether it's um, revenge or anything of that sort. In this case, he's partaking in a, a sexual act with a minor who did not give consent to have sex with him, I'm sure, because she's a minor and he's a grown man. And on top of that, it was recorded. He was recording all his sexual encounters. Whether these chicks gave consent or not, he was recording them. So she didn't, in the eyes of it being raped, she didn't give consent to be having sexual encounter with a grown man. There was no consent for this tape. So I feel like when you say sex tape, it's kind of equivalent, but it's not. It's like it kind of adds a little like mm, softens it up a little bit. It's child pornography. And, yeah. and that was something that I noticed the rhetoric in the, not only in the documentary, but in some of the posts I've came across. I'm like, call it what it is. I even did a post about it. I was like, it's child pornography. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, that, when you, that's actually a really good point to put it out there because, like you said, she was a minor, so she couldn't give consent. And so you really shouldn't call it a sex tape. You're right. Definitely yeah. child pornography. And it was actually so cringy actually reliving that because obviously everyone heard about it a lot of, it was circulating all over when it actually was released it actually started with him paying her money for something and i'm just like what the hell is going on this girl is 14 years old and this he was doing like a transaction and it led to a further transaction oh, which sparkle spoke about very interesting at that point he was definitely double her age which is the the freaking crazy part about it i'm just it, i'm actually just like getting annoyed thinking about this because I, I don't understand how on the trial he got off like i feel like we'll get into that. i know mm -hmm. uh but it's just like it's just like it's blah 
Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and actually, in the video that R. Kelly recorded, there's they show a scene of him actually urinating on the the young girl, and that's probably the worst part about it. The he used it like a toilet, literally, and like that's just so demeaning, belittling, and again, she's a minor, double her age. It's just like, what kind of sick person would do that? And yeah, damn. So the girl who was in the the video, she was unknown. But however, Stephanie Edwards, who is actually known as Sparkle and again was a former protege and background singer for R. Kelly, she instantly came out and said that she recognizes the girl in the video to be her niece. And she had the exact same hairstyle that her niece had when she was 14 years old. So she was able to just pinpoint the exact time and year that video was made because she knows her niece. She was the one who actually brought her niece into R. Kelly's studio and to try to foster and develop her career, which, again, there's so many laps of judgment when it comes to this whole situation because Sparko mentioned throughout the show that she saw these other girls and she saw what was happening with R. Kelly and how he was treating the women that were around him. So why? Why, why would you bring your your own family into it. Like, I think it was sad that she noticed that the woman wouldn't talk to her. Not the woman, the girls wouldn't talk to her when she was around. And she even was with him and witnessed the, the part where his wife, because he was married, yeah, surprisingly at this time, um, yeah. his wife is Andrea Kelly, also a part of docu-series, and she also was abused mentally, physically, and emotionally. She didn't get no special treatment. The only thing that was different was that she actually had his children. I feel like you don't even have to say that she was also abused. There was nobody who was like, not No one abused. was exempt at this point. Like, he didn't care. And, I mean, the only difference with her is that they were married, Um, a marriage that she didn't plan. It just, it literally happened. And she, no, none of her family members were present. Like, he just planned a wedding and she just said, I do. And she didn't have much of a choice. And then she had his children, unlike the other woman who had abortions. Leah was not the only one. There was more, which is crazy. But the thing is, Sparkle was there and witnessed when Andrea wanted to get something to eat and had to ask for permission. And she pride herself, Sparkle, as I was a strong woman. I spoke back to him. And I question if he purposely did that to her niece to get back at her because he was all about control and being uh. manipulative. And the fact that this is just my little hype, my little, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a little deeper because she wasn't one he could control. Like he couldn't control her. She said she spoke back to him. She He knew what time it was when it came to her. So I felt like did he do all of that to her niece to kind of get back at her? I was like, oh, I can't control you, but I control somebody around you. That's what you get for talking back to me because you never know where people like him his head is at, you know what I'm saying? So that was, I was thinking that because I... That's actually a good point. I was thinking that because I was like, why would he do... And then she kept saying, why would he do that to her? But then again, I'm like, you saw what happened with all of these girls around and his wife. Why would you bring your 12-year-old niece around him? Talking about she was supposed to be the next Bow Wow before Bow Wow. Excuse me? Like, there was no one else in the industry for you to go to at the time. He was the only one, the person that you spoke back to. You pride yourself on being that type of strong woman, but you brought your niece around him. That shit got me tight. I was like, and is she crying? I was like, I, I, I couldn't even bang with her. I was like, yo, are you serious right now? Like, it was like so many questions going on in my head. Like, I just did not understand it. And the fact that there was no real outrage from her family, like the girl's mom or dad or anything, or stepdad for that matter, it was just kind of like... And she even said it. She was like, she doesn't know if R. Kelly paid off her family, but they remained silent. And even in these parts, um, um, three and four, another victim by the name of Lisa Van Allen discusses her experience with him. She met him at the age of 17, and at the age of 19, she participated in a threesome with R. Kelly and Sparkle Niece, the 14-year-old. And she knew that was a 14-year-old in tape. She was able to recognize her. Um, and what's crazy is that at the time, she R. Kelly told her that the girl was sixteen. I'm not sure what difference it made. Fourteen. I, I didn't was really. I was like, like oh, it was two years. She's sixteen. Okay, sixteen. And <laughs> she participated in a threesome. And I'm not passing any judgment to her because she is a victim. She was manipulated. She didn't have much of a choice at all. You know, she was one of the ones that he tried to train and keep in her place. So I'm not, you know, saying 
in her she should have did more you know what i'm saying it's she was in a situation where she didn't have a choice and she spoke to that and i'm not putting blame on the victims i'm not i would not do that watching this documentary i was just like i get it they were put in a situation where you know it, he manipulated them a lot he got into their psych and he got into them at a very young age where these girls whether you're 12 14 and 17 you don't know yourself yeah and then they also talk about how it's not like something that happened overnight it he didn't. kind of step by step he step by step try to train them right so with that being said um she partaked in this threesome with him and she felt very uncomfortable she even said it and she said it seemed like the 14 year old knew more what to do was more experienced in it than she was and for him also in terms of recording he kept recording all these sexual encounters and that was a way for him to regain his control and it was a form of a trophy which one of the psychologists spoke about like when you have a predator or a molester they have a tendency of collecting items from their encounters and in this case was the recordings he kept recording them and he knew he had a problem problem because he told his tour manager demetrius that he couldn't stop engaging in sexual acts with minors and then he couldn't stop recording them so he knew that this was an issue, but he continued doing it despite whatever the outcome was going to be or result because he had so much control. And also, too, he had a staff of people. And not only a staff of people, his boys getting numbers, but he had attorneys backing him. Yeah. You know, like he took it an extra step and um, booking flights because even his wife, Andrea Kelly, spoke about it. She's like, no offense, you can't read. So who's booking these flights? Like real, like who's doing all of these transactions, bro? Because you and that was a whole other thing. Bruh couldn't read. And the fact that he had all of this control baffles my brain against chick that probably had a better reading level than him. That's one. And secondly, the fact that you was planning and plotting all of these things and you couldn't even like like really you couldn't comprehend what she was reading. So I was I find that to be that was the part that had me. I was like, and then you had all this money. You had all these resources. Did you not at some point try to learn how to read and try to, like, become better in that aspect? I'm not trying to, you know, throw shade because there are people out there who can't. But it's like at some point, did you even try to learn? Did you try to even become better in some aspects? Like, I just didn't get certain things. Like, And then also, also too, what got me irked was that the child pornography tape made its rounds. It was on bootleg. People were selling it buying it bruh like it started out in chicago people just selling it in like flea markets i was confused i was like y'all really buying this shit like you can't just believe this man has a problem y'all know he lurking the schools he going to the malls and you mean to tell me y'all gotta watch the recording to feel like and even after watching it some of y'all still listen to his music so i didn't even understand i didn't know what's circulating like that where people was people's making money off of this joint so to me, honestly, like picking up off of that and the things that was going on and as we get further down into the documentary, docuseries, I felt like these girls were put on an auction block and sold for the highest bidder. And the highest bidder was R. Kelly. Yeah. That was my take on it. Yeah. Um, One thing that I just want to address that you said, like it's kind of like baffling how this actually happened. Watching the documentary, and I, that's something I really liked about it because, like, you know, I'm into understanding the science and, like, the just how things happen and how things work. And, like, the psychologist did a really good job of, like, breaking down step by step how these perpetrators and yes. predators get these things to happen. Like, they said how he starts with simple things like calling him daddy and then from there he'll give you more rules like or if I have my boys around don't speak to them and just like doing it little by little and then he isolates them separates them from their families for their loved ones and then you just wake up one day and you realize oh shoot I'm alone I don't have my friend's family this is the only person that I have in my Mm -hmm. life and now you just feel trapped and I think that's, that's something I could really relate to just in terms of like in the past when I, I've dealt with like depression and weight gain and things of that nature. It doesn't just happen overnight. Like these little things happen gradually over time. Then you get to a point where it's like, holy shit, like how did I get to this point? And then if you couple all of that with the fact that he was a star, he had all this money, and a lot of these girls he was bringing it under like the, the mask of wanting to train them and help them become stars like – it's sad, and it, but it's clear how he did this and how he's able to continue to keep on doing this. The other thing that's kind of crazy is that because this happened so long ago, some of these girls didn't even know about like much of his past 
now like the young girls like 17 18 years old now yeah. because this was before their time so that's that's kind of crazy in itself and also too sparkle had spoken about it that one of the music execs was like i don't care who he raping he bringing in money yeah so that too being on a high in in the music industry like they know that you know they knew about this but it was just like yo he's profitable so yeah. it doesn't and that to me was like wow would y'all have kept that same energies if these was white girls oh definitely if these not. was becky bridges and sarah was running around he would have been lynched would y'all would have <laughs> to the second one and be like oh no we gotta hang him from a tree like seriously because all these black girls are like oh nobody ain't care and then you gonna say because he's profitable but the fact that this stigma is out there but then he kept making money Emmett, like Emmett Till got hung for less for way less for not even he didn't actually do it he didn't it. even whistle at night right well, she, she, she lied exactly so that that's that's really the sad part but then as the documentary continued they, they went into the trial and they discussed how R. Kelly and his legal team pushed back the trial as much as they can. And it actually took about six years before they went on trial. And R. Kelly's legal team, they actually went into the trial trying to blame it on it wasn't R. Kelly. It was actually his brother, Carrie Kelly, who was on that tape. And I just they was reaching, bro. Literally. First of all, they don't even look alike like that. Exactly. I was like, you could tell they got two different daddies. Like, come on, cut the shit. Like, really? And and it's crazy because they said that in the actual video, you can hear other people calling his name saying, you have a call. Like, it just... That's the part that gets me even more annoyed. Like, how did he get off? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And R. Kelly and his legal team even offered his brother $100,000 and a recording contract for one studio album to get his brother to come out and say that it was him on the tape, but... Thank God he did not accept that. And whatever, it didn't work. R. Kelly still got off, so that was just some bullshit. Sparkle also spoke to the fact that um, she was offered a large sum of money, which was even more problematic. So, And she said that she couldn't have been bought, and she turned that down. So the she was offered a large sum of money to sit down with R. Kelly and say that everything's good and kind of do a press conference, but she was like she refused to do so. It, it was crazy. I just thought it was funny. During the documentary, when one of his brothers, I think his name was Bruce, the yeah. one that's in prison, yeah, that he needs was, to stay there. He was like, Dusty I, I don't know why he was in prison, but I just thought he it was funny. Stay. <laughs> Yo, I swear to God, I couldn't stand his ass. I was like, bro, please don't let him out. He, he was like, to this day, I don't understand how my brother didn't take that money. He, you could have been, uh, you could have been rich. That it's, wasn't in the part that got me. He was like, R. Kelly has a preference for young girls. What's the problem? Oh I, no, I'm that, sir. Yeah, yeah, that was. It's called pedophile. Yeah. What do you mean he had a preference said, for young girls? We all have preferences. I like older women. He likes younger women. Yeah, he's an idiot. He better not drop the soap. <laughs> Fuck with me if you want to. I couldn't stand his ass. So uh, on the actual trial, Sparkle did testify that it was R. Kelly on the tape. But the well, I think one of the major factors as why, too, he got off was that Sparkle's niece actually wasn't testifying and she wasn't a she part of She didn't come forward right, at so, all. So they were having a trial and there was no victim. There was no one to actually look at and say this is the person who was affected by this situation. And they actually showed one of the jurors coming back and saying he... He didn't believe anything that the women were saying. He looked at the way they were dressing, and that kind of just discredited them to him. And it, it's sad because that is something that people constantly talk about, where what a woman is wearing is essentially giving consent. When and it doesn't matter what she's wearing. She could walk out of the house in a panty and bra. That don't mean you rape her. Yeah. That doesn't mean anything. And I think that's very problematic in today's society, and we still have that perception about what a woman's attire is. It does not matter how she's dressed. Until she gives verbal consent as to what can happen with her body, she has every right to not be perceived as a slut a whore or anything of that nature and on top of that that doesn't mean you violate her and right. the juror which in his english wasn't even that great so i had a whole problem understanding where he was coming from yet here we are with the borders <laughs> okay. the crazy part they said it was eight white jurors and four black ones. I, when i heard that I, I was like i knew he got off but i'm like eight white jurors and four black this but dude that is going speaks to, jail. to money yeah. that speaks to him having because if he was just a regular dude in the hood on the corner yeah. like they would have locked him ass up real quick but that speaks to the money factor but I, that made me i'm glad the jurors spoke that truth because i'm like i'm sure all of them thought the same way right but also too that was mentioned um aside from sparkle coming forward i believe it was her brother or brother-in-law he came forward on trial saying that it wasn't the little girl so at that point she was just like wow and then she was like she 
felt like they were probably paid off. Keeping in mind, I believe the brother-in-law was R. Kelly guitarist. Yeah. And the girl was still a part of his life till this day. She's one of the girls that trains the rest of the girls. So the girl from the um, child pornography tape. So it was like, they're still like a part of, he's still a part of their lives. So I'm just like, damn, he really either brainwashed the hell out of these people or he paid them a large sum of money because I'm like, and what got me was like, as parents, are you okay with the fact that this man used your daughter as a toilet? Like, and y'all didn't even come forward. Like, like I said, they were sold for the highest bidder. You know what I'm saying? And it's like really pissed me off that they didn't even come forward. And this was another attempt to come forward and try to right what was wrong, and people did not do that. He was found not guilty. Yeah. Interestingly enough, um, going back to your point, one of my peers did say, like, they didn't understand why he got off. This is why R. Kelly got off, and I'm bringing my little legal background into this. Mm, get it. Keep in mind, he pushed the trial six years later. She happened when the girl was 14. The trial happened when she was 20. Also, too, the girl never testified. <laughs> the person who is the main person in the middle of all this never testified, even though her classmate did testify that that was her in it, and Sparkle testified that wasn't sufficient. And you also got to keep in mind, he had immense supporters during trial. Now, the supporters are not supposed to affect the jury's mindset or decision, but it, unfortunately it does. That's, that, I the that. public, The public like kind of does. And what killed me was people were supporting him to be not guilty than opposed to supporting the victims. And the reporters in the docuseries spoke about that. None of these supporters who was outside of trial, which was black woman, oh, Lord, that was really out there like R. Kelly this, R. Kelly that, and was supporting him. And even though that's not supposed to sway the jurors' like mindset, in some cases it does because it's like, well, he still has supporters, so they may not believe that this is him, and that probably played a part in it. Now, that wasn't explicitly stated in docuseries, but that's just kind of my analysis of it. Right. But also bringing it back to the other family member saying that it wasn't her, like I had stated. And R. Kelly attorney was trying to lead people to believe it wasn't him, hence why the defense found him not guilty. They was trying to pass it off that it was his brother, and they said that, of course, it couldn't be him. And during this time frame of six years, he was still producing music. Yeah. Yeah. So he was still put out on the scene, putting out I Believe I Could Fly. Yeah. And he was putting out not the music that he normally have, the sexual music of him being with young girls. Because he even explicitly state all of this bump and grind and all of that, him being my mind said nothing wrong and we see what happened. Right? And that was those music wasn't coming out. He was putting out like more like uplifting music. The black classics. Basically. And that kind of changed people's perspective in a way. That's why he kept pushing it off, strategically pushing it off. And then that kind of begs the question as to why he was considered not guilty. So when you have all of those factors at play, and then you got to keep in mind, no other victims came present. None of those other people that was in the house or he was training came forward speaking about these other issues. I'm sure if they did, it would have been much more powerful. Going back to my statement about Aaliyah, if her parents had came forward and they had like really came together, you know, it would have built a strong case. And of course he was found not guilty. What got me, honestly, I mean, a lot of things got me, but what really stuck out was when he was on bail, he was requested to perform at a black church. I believe I could fly among kids. And this is the problem I have with the black church. And y'all see why some people don't go. Because your pastors either implicitly or explicitly feed into this bullshit. You know this man is on trial for child pornography. It's circling all over Chicago. So it ain't no surprise it's him. And you have him come out on bail to perform, I believe I could fly in front of kids. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure there's girls among that crowd. Right. And e even if at that time they didn't know if it w if he was guilty or not, it's like he's on trial. Like there has to be a better judgment call. They're like, why would you even expose them to that? Like Basically, like you couldn't get anybody else to perform. I was tight because I really wanted them to state the church that it was because I was about to Google the shit out of that joint. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, it'd be your own people. It'd be your own people. And that goes to show that act within itself shows black girl lives don't matter at all. For a church to be like, oh, please come and perform. I believe I could fly and inspire these kids to be a pedophile. Like, that's what we're doing. Like, are you serious right now? So I was really bothered by that. Also speaking to the trial, during the trial, he actually got another victim. Her name was Geronda Pace, um, and she was there to support him. She did not know about what was going on, and she thought that he was just found guilty. Keeping in mind, she came from a single-parent household. Her mother was never really around because she had to work. And what was interesting about this victim was that she was molested at the age of four, six, and eight years old prior to meeting R. Kelly. So unfortunately, she was society already failed her in some aspects. Um, she already been down that route. And 
they created a bond over it. And that's what the psychologist talked about. Like she expressed to him that she was molested and he also expressed that as well. And what I didn't understand was if he's going around telling these little girls that he is molested or was molested at one point, why the hell could you go sit down with a psychologist and tell him that and go yeah. seek the help you needed? It's not, it wasn't a secret that he was molested. I think he's just so smart, so calculating. He knew what he was doing. Like, people connect with each other based on your vulnerabilities, based on the things, the dramas and things that have happened in your past that, like, are bad. And he realized, like, listen, I can share these things with these people. This is going to make them bring their guards down. They're going to share, connect with me. We're just going to get closer. And then I'm going to loop them in, isolate them, and just do the same circus all over again. And his, his wife actually had talked about, like, he was asking her to teach him how to read. And she felt like the walls with him were down to the studs. And once he got you close and vulnerable and brought you in, that's when he cut you up from everyone else and just took advantage of you. Basically, and a psychologist really spoke to the fact that he did it, people like him, who tend to be controlling and predators, they do it one of two ways. So first they tell people their story because they really do want people to listen to them. You know, they're being vulnerable. They want people to listen. But secondly, they tell them so they could find a way to connect with the victim. And then they try to build this bond. And then this is a way of them controlling them because they pull you in. They want you to feel sorry and sympathy and all of that. And then they start to slowly start to control you. And to go back to your point about him training them. She admitted to him that she was, she did say that she was 19. But when in fact... She was actually 14, and he didn't care. He told her, just tell everyone that you're 19. This is not the first time he told a victim to lie about their age to other people, and he proceeded to take her virginity, and then they kind of just, from there, he trained her, and she was one of the girls in the household. Damn. He's literally on trial, just got off, and he's picking up a girl who's underage. Literally, during trial. Right. During trial, picked her up. The moment he got off, He's back to work. Like yeah. that's the that's the crazy part about it. He like literally does not care. Mm-hmm. He's like that. Yeah, <laughs> I would have at least laid low for a little bit. He was never never stopping. But yeah, that's the fucked up crazy part. Kitty Jones, a former Dallas radio DJ, shared her story, and this this was shocking because I didn't honestly didn't even know this part yeah. that. He would he he's really a predator where he will uh, he'll go after anyway. It doesn't matter if they're young, even though that was his preference. Yeah. He sees someone who's weak and vulnerable and mm-hmm. he can take advantage of it, he's gonna go after that. Yeah. So they were dating, had a relationship for about two years, and she ended up leaving her job and moved to Chicago. And apparently she felt like she didn't know about the child pornography situation. She didn't know everything that was going on with R. Kelly. She thought two adults having consensual sex until she moved in and then that's when things just went downhill and i don't know i just it, it, it's just it's, it's it's a lot it's ridiculous i don't damn that's crazy i feel like i hold oh god i just feel like a tear just come down because it's just like it sucks because it it's really just taking advantage of people and it's yeah like it's fucked up and and I don't know if we mentioned this. He's called the Pied Piper. Yeah. And that's for people who don't know. The Pied Piper is like a story about a musician who would come into a village, play their flute, and then just lure kids out of the village. So this guy was literally explaining that, what he was doing the entire time. So with, with Kitty Jones... She ended up leaving her job, coming to live with R. Kelly, and becoming one of the girls who were essentially prisoners living at his home. And... When she actually did find out about the the child pornography, she called him and she cursed him out, claiming not to accuse him of anything. Well, he cursed her out. Sorry. Yeah, he cursed her out, and then when they met up, she he beat her, like, a lot. So he was also very abusive physically, which was also mentioned throughout the documentary with other ladies involved, which is also another factor. It wasn't just, like, mental and emotional, but also physical as well. Right. Damn. He's can't read but just evil genius so r kelly one of his actual employees mentioned the fact that r kelly would have the victim self-incriminate themselves essentially writing statements where he's basically constantly trying to cover his bases to make sure he stays protected and the statements were really insurance and on top of that like you mentioned with the trophies the videos that he held those were essentially like blackmail where he would have that and that would just be something that would take these victims and have them less likely to leave and less likely to actually speak out 
this was the only person in the documentary who remained anonymous, the employee that was bringing up all this information, and also talked about how R. Kelly kept his victims in both Atlanta and his home in Chicago. For instance, Jocelyn Savage and Azrael Clary, who were more recent girls that he's, uh, I don't know, abducted. Practically. Um, Jocelyn's parents actually put her in contact with R. Kelly because they wanted him to assist with her singing career, despite knowing his past in child pornography case, which is another problem. Um, these parents I was just a little bit bothered by because I was like, you purposely put your daughter in basically in the lion's den. And now they haven't heard from her in years, which also was a problem. They didn't know how what was going on with her. He completely isolated her from her family. She did a TMZ interview like saying, oh, she's fine. Um, it was stated in a docuseries that you could tell someone was directing her to speak like she was okay. Everything's fine. Um, she's not sabotaged. Azriel, her parents, the same thing. They wanted to celebrate. The mom wanted to go out and celebrate for the dad. They went to an R. Kelly show. They went as a family. And the mother said that, which really got to me, was like, we thought the things that happened in the past were rumors. And plus, he wasn't convicted. I'm going to need us to stop doing that as black people. Like, stop with the, well, so-and-so wasn't convicted, so we didn't believe it. George Zimmerman wasn't convicted, but we know he guilty as fuck for killing Trayvon Martin. And that shit got me tight, because I'm like, you dead ass right now? Like, there's a whole child pornography tape out. And y'all going to talk about you thought it was rumors. You want to celebrate your husband. Y'all couldn't go to another concert. So guess what? R. Kelly was able to get her daughter on stage. They exchanged contact. They haven't been able to hear from their daughter since. Apparently, she lost her virginity to when they had sex when she was 17. The parents thought that they were different because the dad was like, I'm a part of my daughter's life. She got a two-parent household. That don't mean shit. Like, it don't matter if the father's a part of her life. And they felt like because they was always together as a family, then they found out that she went like traveled to go see him in a hotel and they were bothered by that. It was a lot of back and forth going on. And I'm not saying I don't feel bad, but it's like, where was the accountability? And I did not hear that from these two parents accounts. Like I put my daughter into that situation. It was just like, Oh, and I'm not saying we shouldn't blame R. Kelly. He gets full blame, but these parents really got to take some kind of accountability for putting your daughter into that position. Like, I don't even understand how your precious child you would say, oh, I want you to be introduced to this person to build up their singing career. This dude wasn't like, he wasn't the main artist in the industry. He wasn't the only person. There was other avenues for you to go. You didn't have to go this route. And the fact that you thought these were rumors and you didn't think it was real and he wasn't convicted. And it was sad because like Ezreal parents at one point, you could see that they were at his Chicago studio looking for her. They heard that she was there. They had the police come in to do wellness check and come to find out R. Kelly had ties with police officers. So those checks probably weren't even accurate. And they were throwing rocks at the window because they, they was trying to get their daughter's attention. That part was really sad to watch. Yeah. I'm just like, they're really trying to regain or try to get their daughter back. And it was alleged that she ran away from that studio and they caught her in the street. I guess R. Kelly's staff and brought her back. So the daughter did try to get away. Um, and I believe till this day they don't have their daughters. So yeah, Jocelyn they, they and Azriel are still captive by him, apparently. Yeah, and again, that's just how he does it. He isolates them from the family, and just the abuse, like the abuse that the victims face, where they can go days without having food and just being cut off completely from their loved ones. It, it's just again sad situation, and I just need I I need this to kind of come to an end where. We need to find some way to make amends to all of this. So Dominique Gardner was another victim of R. Kelly. However, she she was brought into the R. Kelly, I guess, cult, cult. through another girl of R. Kelly, Geronda. And she actually met Dominique Gardner on MySpace and connected R. Kelly with her that way. And that's that's the sick part about it, too. Yeah. He brainwashed these girls and then have them going out to get more girls, g- other girls for her and train them. Right. So fortunately, with with Dominique's situation, she was gone and she was gone and completely changed under R. Kelly, where he had her as his boy toy, where he had her cut her hair, change her style. But he made her into a boy, yeah. like tatted up and everything, like change her whole demeanor and everything like that. But thank God, luckily, the mom was able to, in conjunction with the documentary series, saw the TMZ video with her daughter being in, in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. Her name is Michelle Kramer. She's a black mother. She came through. Yeah, she, she was like, I'm getting my daughter. You're not playing with me. Yeah, so that that was actually one of the 
at least there was some positive that we saw. There was a parent that went for their child and would not stop by any means necessary. Yeah, but the crazy part about that was that she they escaped, but she ended up going back to R. Kelly three days later, but then again came back. And she returned home. Right, so that just shows you just how psychologically damaging this is. Like, she escaped, but then still went back. But the thing is, they did say in um, the docu-series that it's important that parents in these situations they do a lot of press conferences. They try to, like, make their love their daughters or their loved one in these situations feel loved. So if they pick up on these press conferences or they see these interviews, they know that there's someone out there that still loves them because he isolated them so much and manipulated them. If they get little hints of this, it's important. With Dominique and her mom, that part really touched me. I was very emotional because she was like, when she held her daughter, it was like she was when the first time she held her when she was given to her in the arm when she gave birth and the doctors passed her along and that part was really emotional to me because I was like she kept going and she was at the hotel room and she was telling her daughter just come with me please just come with me and really utilizing those words and rhetoric to kind of pull her back in even though she went back a couple days later now she's back home and I hope that she's getting the help that she needs to move forward with her life and proceed she wasn't a part of the docuseries but I just thought that was a very powerful and pivotal moment. And she didn't come from that two-parent household. The mother did it on her own. So that speaks to parents who actually went out to get their child. And in her case, it was different because she didn't bring her child to R. Kelly, to the lion's den, for nothing. A friend. A friend did. And she found out, she got a random phone call one day, like, your daughter's with this man. And she's like, what? Oh, no, we got to fix this. And even her energy, she had one of those, I'm going to pull up. I was like, yo, I like her. I was like, okay. Other parents I was very questionable about, but she went through extreme measures to get her daughter back. Yeah, and sadly to this day, Al Kelly still hasn't been accused or found guilty of any crimes, and he still has a lot of women living with him, like Azriel, like... Jocelyn. Right. Are still put in those situations. And also speak to what Coach P said. The psychologist did say, and I know people say, why do these girls go back? It takes seven to ten times for somebody to go back and forth to their abuser before they actually leave. So, and whether they're grown women or little girls, when they tap into their mental, it's not that hard for that to happen. Also keeping in mind the living conditions of these victims. They were trapped into rooms and also some of them they had to piss and shit in buckets in the corner and they were only able to release that or like let it out when r kelly gave them permission to do so that's how sick this man is and of course he has ties to the police department so that's why there was not more of a savior for these black girls which is another problem as i said if they was white girls it would have been a whole different kind of conversation Please know that this is only part one that we're going to be discussing pertaining to the docuseries. There's so much going on, and it brings a lot of conversations around culture, the black community, things that we are airing out our dirty laundry. So in a follow-up episode, we're going to actually dive more into it and actually speak about the aftermath of the docuseries and what's been going on, especially on our Kelly's behalf. Um, so definitely keep up to date with us on that matter. And also, too, keeping in mind... The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233. Once again, it's 1-800-799-7233. And you could also visit the website at www.thehotline.org-is-this-abuse. And also the Cook County State's Attorney, Kim Fox, has set up a special hotline for victims in Cook County to call 773-674-6492. Once again, the number is 773-674-6492. They're actually creating a case against him so they could get as many help as possible. Please reach out. Don't be scared to. And please note, since this docuseries has dropped, the hotline has increased by 27% of sexual assault victims coming forward about their instances. So don't be ashamed to tell your story speak your truth and live in your glory ladies yeah and it's very important to come forward because that's the only way justice can be served by coming forward and actually sharing these stories and i know it's obviously something very difficult to do but we got to work together to, we have to, to we have to stop down. him at this point we had so many chances in the past now it's time to make a difference and kind of send a message to young black girls that we matter our lives are just as important as anybody else and people need to speak up when these instances happen and we'll dive more into it in the next follow-up episode but now we want to end on a positive note don't we want to do that coach p yeah let's definitely do that more positive so on this we're gonna end off the show talking about our book review of michelle obama's becoming and I personally, I loved it. It was yes, amazing. Yes. Just like, it was beautiful just seeing how she broke it up into three chapters where basically 
kind of learning about her background yeah. growing up in Chicago and then her meeting Barack and kind of seeing how that love flourished and grew mm-hmm. and the differences in how they grew up and then just the life that they lived during the presidency. So one highlight for me in the book was just, and it really resonated with me when Michelle was really talking about how she lost people in her life. And the reason that resonated with me because I recently lost my grandmother and it does make you get present to the fact that when you lose someone, it kind of makes you kind of think about your priorities and find out what's important to you. And that was a major turning point in her life. When she met Barack Obama, she saw the type of man that he was and how he was living his life, giving back to the community. And she was, at that time, just so focused and driven and career-driven and was a lawyer. So just that like that part specifically really resonated with me. And I don't know, just like the, the charm that she presented in the book, just the stories, just, I don't know, I love her, and I honestly never knew much about Michelle. Yeah, you feel uh, like you know her, right? Yeah, that's that's auntie now. Like, yeah, I feel she's like a friend in my head. Yeah, what 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 stuck out for you? Well, what? for one, I want to say, um, rest in peace to your grandmother, Thank and you. I'm glad that you actually mentioned that because I know people were expecting our show to come out um a week ago, but we did push it back. And Pierre was trying to do everything like we normally do in these cases where we lose someone we love, we try to function as normal. And I was like, Pierre, you all right? Like we could we could push all of this back and I just want to put it out there for people who have lost a loved one. Take time to grieve and have time to yourself and do what you need to do. Stop trying to do everything all at once. So just letting you guys know as to why I was pushed back and also to rest in peace to your grandmother. And also um, speaking of the book review and I thoroughly enjoyed it for what it was. And I love that you mentioned that part about death because it makes you. I told you this. Death makes you pause. Yeah. It makes you think about life. Sometimes it makes you think you want to give up something, you want to walk away from something. But honestly, what I could say is that it makes you reflect on things. The part about her losing her dad, I was crying. Yeah. I think because I was drinking wine, too. So, I, But I was sobbing because my dad and I have a very great relationship. And then the way he died, it was like if you had just looked about your health, which black people we have a tendency of doing, it would have been he probably would have still been alive. He would have been there for her wedding. And he wasn't. Um, and I, that that part got me upset because I was like, I feel like he was being ignorant. Yeah. You know how black people are when it comes to sickness? We, we ignorant. It's like, go to the doctor. And he was a man, too. So black men, y'all ignorant. That pride. So that pride. And he even said it on his deathbed. Like, he not said it, but the, she said the they had like a, a staring moment where she was like, she felt like he know that he should have yeah. looked about it. And I was like, imagine if he was around for all of this. You yeah. know, yes, he's here in spirit, but like. It was just that part, honestly, Pierre, I cried. I was like, oh, my, because I was thinking of my own father, which is just as ignorant. So I was just like, that part got to me Um, when her friend died who taught her how to live life. Yeah. I thought that was so, like, crazy. Um, And she didn't even really get to see her and say goodbye because she was so caught up in work. One of the things I loved about it, getting to know Michelle, was that she was very ambitious. She yeah. wasn't a type of chick to get caught up with a dude and get distracted. She was just like, and there's nothing wrong with that, to each their own. But she was like, listen, this is what's priority to me. I'm driven. I got to make this money. And I love that about her, that she kind of set that message out to young girls out there, you know, readers, letting them know, focus on your career. Dudes will come. Like, you ain't no rushing or anything. Just focus. And the fact that, you know, one of her, I believe, counselors has said that she didn't have a chance at Princeton, but she proved them wrong. But she didn't feel the need to rub it in their face. Like, she was very humble about it. When they go low, we go high. Basically, she went real high. Um, but also, too, I like how she was very candid about who she was. She was just like, you know, one of the guys that she was with, she was like, you know, when we were smoking pot at one point. But she, like, slid that in there. I was like, <laughs> okay, we in here, we lit. And I was like, you know, she's being honest about her upbringing and, and what she experienced. And I like her family dynamic it was like it was very rare the kind of family she had she had like a cosby family um in a sense that in being raised in an urban area and then she talked about how the kids went from urban areas to living in the suburbs and the dynamics of that and how our school was diverse at one point i really like that part um and also too like her growing into her womanhood i love her mom her mom to me, not her, more so her parents, how they raised them. It was like, she was like, we're raising adults. They didn't baby them. They allowed them to be free yeah. and kind of live. I like that. It was like. Yeah, it, I, I like that too. She said we gave them, we got guidelines. We didn't yeah. really tell exactly what to do and we kind of got to 
make decisions on our own based on the guidelines yeah. and the principles that we got through. And they were a, they weren't strict household. And what I liked about her is like it's like since she was younger, she had an edge and a feistiness to her because she even challenged her on piano instructor. instructor. Yeah. Like she was like, I will go toe to toe with her and another grown up. And I was just like, I I felt like that was me growing up. And I felt like, <laughs> oh, Kiana's just mouthy. He was like, no, I'm gonna check you, boo, because you're not gonna try me. So I like that. And also to her coming into the presidency, what I like was Obama wasn't gonna do it unless Michelle gave him the nod to do it. Right. He wanted to and she know he wanted to and then she was like you know what fine and she was talking about how their family dynamics change and how she was juggling motherhood and I think that's something I think about I don't have any kids right now but when I do have kids I was like I don't want to give up my career you know but I want to be there for all of those special moments and it was hard to kind of see that and her being candid and true about not being able to have kids and having to go through the IVF process which is very common for women and being candid about those experiences so I thought that was very interesting and I love the book in terms I love the beginning portion as they grew into the presidency and got into where they did and her speaking about it being difficult in the back backlash but how she composed herself i loved it and she's like a friend in my head so i would definitely say go get you a copy it's definitely worth it all 400 and something pages <laughs> she's definitely worth it but it was a great read and i feel like i know her way more than i did i knew her but i didn't know her yeah. it was like this book man i was like i feel like i was sitting down talking to her yeah like so well, I'm, I'm glad that we ended on this note and she's from chicago She's a native of Chicago. So and speaking to that, um, I'm glad how the book planned out. And I just want to end on a positive note, despite all of this R. Kelly stuff. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a must read. Go check that out if you guys haven't already. And you know it's a good one because he done sent definitely like 20 times. <laughs> so let us know. Once you do check it out, let us know. Slide in the DM. Send us an email. But once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. Make sure you purchase our ringtone playing all silky smooth in the background in your yeah. ears right now. For Android users, you can do that at the Tune Store. For Apple users, you can do that at the iTunes Store. And you please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at unapologetic d underscore and you can also make donations to our patreon account by searching unapologetically different and finally you can find all our shows on itunes soundcloud and now stitcher by searching unapologetically different stay tuned for our next episode bye